At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Revealed, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Last week was Father's Day, right? But my wife and my youngest son, Gabe, they were out of, they're also out of town this week. They traveled to Oklahoma so they could see Amy's family. Today, they're with my family, and they'll start the trip home this afternoon, and uh, God willing, be home on Tuesday, I hope, because it's just been, been me and the poodle. Um, anyway, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I got to celebrate Father's Day. I walked out of the bedroom, did not know this was, co- this was coming. It was a Friday morning walked into the dining room, and there was a card on the counter that said, Mr. Creech. There it is. And I thought, well, I am Mr. Creech. And so I opened it up, and I read it, and inside there was this poem. It was a clue. And this clue took me out to the backyard. So I traveled to the backyard. There was a shovel in my backyard. Now, do you know how much work it takes to make your grass look green and like all lush and carpet like? So I start digging in my backyard. That's what I did because you have to do it, right? You're following the clues. So I'm digging into my backyard and I find a Ziploc bag with another card, Mr. Creech. I open it up. There's another poem riddle thing inside. And I'm like, oh. So it took me to the garage where I had to pull down the attic stairs, climbed up into the attic. One of these days, I'm going to be able to flip on a light switch like a normal human. But no, I have the pull chain thing, right? So I'm pulling that chain. I got the exposed light bulb, you know, there. And anyone else, like, that's your attic. You just kind of, that, two. Awesome. So then you will understand what I did. So I pulled the chain, and I'm sitting up in my attic, sweating because it's so hot up there. And I'm reading this clue, and I'm like, so I, I go to the car next. And when I went to the car, there was a metal detector waiting for me in the car, and a two-day excursion plan, which I will tell you about some other time. The point for today, the point for today is that was one of the most creative invitations I have ever received, right? That was that invitation that I think I will never, ever forget. So church, today we're looking at uh, some of the parables. We've been in this series looking at the parables of Jesus. Today, take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 12 through 24. The passage opens with Jesus being invited to this banquet. Now, probably Jesus didn't run around the house with cards going, Mr. Jesus, Mr. Jesus, Mr. Jesus. It's probably not what happened. He got invited to this banquet. What would happen in the first century is you would go to the synagogue and you would worship, you'd be taught the word, and then afterwards you would go to eat. you go to this banquet, which we kind of still do, don't we? There's a lot of you that as soon as the service ends, you're going to go to, maybe not breakfast, you might go to brunch, right? Or you might be like, nope, I'm going to lunch. I'm going to get me a burger, right? It's okay. It's, it's still late enough in the day. I'm going to lunch. Some of you, you'll just get a little snack because tonight is when you're going to do your thing. And you're going to cook out on the grill or you're going to do something fun, big fancy salads, whatever. We still do this today, Right? Not as opulent, not as over the top, but we still do this, hey, after service, let's go out and let's eat. And so Jesus was invited to the home of this prominent leading Pharisee. Not only that, he was identified as being a ruler of the Pharisees. And this ruler of the Pharisees, his motivations were not kindness. In fact, they were watching, Scripture tells us, they were watching Jesus. They were waiting for him to slip up just that much. 
Where can they catch him? This is what they were wanting to do. Where can we catch him where the law says one thing and he's doing another? Where can we catch him being a hypocrite? That's what we want to do. We want to trap him and capture him in this moment. So the Pharisees were watching him carefully. Now, so far during this meal, Jesus has been talking to all of the Pharisees, but now he shifts his focus and he focuses specifically on this man who's organized the banquet, on this leader of the Pharisees. And more specifically, he's going to talk about who is and who is not invited into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is going to be talking about in this parable. Who is and who is not invited into the kingdom of God. And really, it's in this environment that Jesus tells this parable of the great banquet and challenges us in a few ways of how we share the gospel The first challenge is going to be to check our current invite list. Check our current invite list. Let's look at verse 12. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So before Jesus tells the parable, he gives this command, this challenge to this Pharisee. He says, you've got this culture, this culture that says, I'm going to invite you to the banquet and then you're going to have to invite me. But what they were doing, they were building this culture that said there's a wall There is a separation, a divide between those who have and those who have not. It was, we're going to keep asking you to come because you're powerful, you to come because you're my friend, you to come because you're wealthy. And not only does that wall grow taller, that wall grows wider, creating this separation, this divide between the needy, between those who don't have any money and those who have all the power. You could say that their patterns of hospitality would secure and firm up their positions of dominance in their communities, which divided them from the needy. So instead, Jesus said, invite those who can't repay you. Invite those where there's nothing to be gained. Invite those people. I like how Paul says it in Ephesians 4 and 5. He says he commends those who reach out to the needy and minister to them, often in quiet ministries that no one ever sees. Some of you, you're involved in those types of ministries right now. It's never about the platform that you stand on. It's never about anyone saying your name or knowing your name. And yet you're so intentional in what Paul would call these quiet ministries. He says, true righteousness does not look for a payback, but is offered free of charge, graciously. Just as God in Christ has forgiven us free of charge. I think an example would be, when you see those families that bring in foreign exchange students. Have any of you ever done that? Raise your hands. One. Okay. Okay, so I've often seen it. I know people outside the church also do the foreign exchange student, but growing up, it was always in the church that I saw the example. And, and here's what I love. If you've never seen it, you know how it works. You bring in a student for a semester or a year. Now, that person's home is is Asia or Africa or Europe or South America, and they come in, and for a semester or a year, they're family, aren't they? 
So when it's someone's birthday, they get a seat at the table. When it's Thanksgiving, they get a seat at the table. When it's Christmas, bring your pajamas because we're going to open right there, right? And so they just become part of the family. And what I love is just the, the selfless hospitality of that moment, right? There's nothing that that 15-year-old's going to give you. There's nothing that you're going to gain. You don't get prominence from that. You don't get propped up from that. It's so selfless in the hospitable nature of it. Here's the point. I think that, and it's, I'm just going to let you know, this has challenged me. You get to hear it for like 30 minutes, and I've been reading it all week long, actually for a couple of weeks now. I think sometimes we treat the gospel invitation like it's a social interaction. D- does that make sense? I, I think we treat the gospel invitation like it's coming to my Christmas party. And and in that, what we end up doing is we start inviting people that we like or that fit in our same socioeconomic uh, sphere. Or it's we invite people who politically they align with us or they look like us or they smell like us or they, I, I think we do. I think we are guilty of this. I think we are so guilty of looking at the church and only inviting people in that fit in our same little social circle. I think that's what we do. And so maybe a question for you is to think through who have you invited just to church, not even shared the gospel with. Who have you just invited to church in the last eight months? Six months, 30 days, right? What does that look like in your life? Or maybe another question would be, picture yourself in heaven. If you're in heaven, what group is it that would get under your skin if they were there and you could see them? Like maybe not even see them. What, what would be the group that if they had to stand right next to you, it would bother you? Is it the group, because we've seen the division in our nation politically, that person, whoever that person is, whatever group politically you would consider those people, if they're standing right next to you and they're in the section like literally touching your leg in heaven, like is there a group that would bother you? That you would be like, ah, oh, not them. Because see, I think we always go to like, well, the Muslims or the, the Buddhists or the Hindus, you know, that person who places their faith in Jesus right at the end who's standing next to you. And I think we can get a little bit more personal, can't we, than that? What about the person who you work with, and they're the really smart person, and they're the atheist, and they're always cutting down your faith at every turn? What if they placed their faith in Christ before they died, and they were next to you, and they've humiliated you all these weeks, all these years? How would Some of you, right now, you're going, man, I would celebrate. Oh, that would be awesome. Eternity side by side with this person, now as a brother or sister in Christ, That would be amazing. And some of you are going, oh, I don't like that thought. Who's that person that all of a sudden it would would make you cringe? Because Jesus is very clearly telling this story to say the gospel is not only for you. The gospel is for one and for all. The gospel is for every single one of us, which moves us to the second point. We're going to see how Jesus invites everyone. Look at verse 15. Scripture says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the dinner party continues, and Jesus has started to press now just a little bit to this man who's organized this whole banquet, right? He's starting to press in, saying, why are you only inviting your friends and your your brothers and those wealthy people that you get along with? Like, why are they the only ones invited to the party? Jesus is pressing a little bit. When all of a sudden this man shouts out and says, blesses everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Here's what that's like. It would be like if you're at a 4th of July party, social distancing, of course, right? And you're all around your your campfire and someone starts talking about freedom and you're like, man, Pastor Billy's been like encouraging me to share my faith and share the gospel. And so you just kind of lean in a little bit. You're like, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. And you go, you know, speaking of freedom, let's talk about freedom in Christ, And all of a sudden, it gets like weirdly quiet. I know you'd be so surprised if that happened, right? But it gets weirdly quiet. And when it gets weirdly quiet, someone says, you know, it's going to be great when we all get to go to heaven. That's what just happened, right? What just happened is this man is like, hey, let's not anyone talk about anything that might be making people uncomfortable. Won't it be great when we all get to heaven? We're all going to have bread in heaven. This is going to be wonderful. And so Jesus responds with a parable. And Jesus says, all right, let's, let's imagine a banquet, which is really funny because think about it, They're all going to look around. Yeah, Jesus, I think we can imagine that, right, because they're at a banquet, right? So let's imagine a banquet, which they're all at. And he's like, and this master sends out an invitation to all these people, sends out this invitation, and yet they all come back excuse after excuse after excuse, and the master is angry. Guys, the master would be angry angry at this point. In fact, everyone makes an excuse. Verse 18, Jesus uses the phrase, they all alike, meaning all of them. All of them have said, I've got an excuse and I'm not going to show up. Now, in the first century, in this culture where Christ is speaking, I just want you to understand what's going on here because there's two groups that are impacted by this kind of invitation. First would be the master. Right, Whoever owns the home, whoever's uh, putting on this banquet and this celebration, they're impacted. In August, we were counting this morning, and there's like four weddings, I think, that I'm, I'm either going to or I'm conducting, right? So there's a lot of weddings going on in August. And if you've ever done a wedding, if you've ever been part of a wedding, then you know it's stressful. Like, it's stressful because you send out these invitations, and then people have to RSVP, and people are slow at doing their RSVP thing, but there's a difference in catering for 40 versus 400, isn't there? There's a big difference in your pocketbook between catering for 40 or 400, but you need to know how much food to buy. Very similar in the first century. The difference is, how many cows are we going to have to kill? How many goats are we going to have to kill? Like, we, we've got to do some cooking, y'all. Like, and, and then we need to know how many people 
are coming. The other group impacted will be those attending. And the reason they're impacting, less like a wedding and more like Christmas for us. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say it's December the 10th and someone gives you a Christmas present. What do you immediately do inside? You go, I'm going to have to give them a Christmas present. After you say yay. I saw that. Someone was like, you say yay? You do say yay. But then you're probably thinking, I have to buy them a Christmas present. Because that's what we do in America, right? In America, you bought me a present, I got to buy you a present. Why do we do that? I don't know, but we have to do it, don't we? It's a rule. No one has said it, but it's a rule. That's why your family, you have rules to Christmas, don't you? When you get together for big family, y'all already know the rules. You either have a rule that says, okay, this person is going to buy for this person, that person for that person, and we're going to do that, or we only buy for the kids, or we're going to do white elephant, or, but you know, because if, if everyone bought presents for everyone in your family, everybody's going broke, right? And so you come up with rules. Thing is, in the first century, it was the same thing. You invited me to this big banquet after we go to church. We're going to go over and have this big party. That means I'm going to have to have a party. Everyone understands that's the rule. The rule is I'm going to have to have a party and you invited me, so I'm going to have to invite you. We're not going to invite anybody else. But we're going to all invite each other, and we'll just keep doing this thing, right? This little holy huddle. We're going to keep this process going. And so this group, Scripture says, they had some excuses. I like how one theologian put it. One theologian said, well, all three excuses share is an extraordinary lameness, which is awesome. I love the brilliance of that. An extraordinary lameness to the excuses. Here's what he's saying. One said, well, I recently purchased property. Y'all, if you want to buy some property, don't you think you ought to look at it before you buy it? But they're saying, well, I mean, I bought this property, so I've got to go look at it. I've got to inspect it. Mm-hmm. So you didn't inspect it beforehand, and you can't possibly inspect it tomorrow. Like, you can't. Cause, I mean, you do own it. It's still going to be yours. So you can't do it tomorrow, though. You have to do it right during the party, during that evening banquet. They were, oh, okay. Do you hear the lameness there? And the next one, the same thing. I love how it looked like a little cowboy character with a great big fuzzy mustache. Did you notice that? And the chaps. I'm pretty sure he had on some chaps, maybe. Anyway, he's like, I just bought me some, some oxen. Like five yoke worth of oxen. You know, I just bought these. I got inspect. You didn't inspect them before you purchased them. And you can't possibly inspect them. After. But my favorite is the third group. Third group. I just got married. Just so you know, if you're single, if you ever get married, you're not allowed to go to parties anymore. Nope. You can't go eat. Like you can't go eat. You can't do that. Why? I'm married. I just got married. I can't go eat anymore. Like, I can't do it. I can't go to your bank. Do you hear how ridiculous that is? And so this master's angry. You said you were coming. I killed the cows. I killed the goats. We're ready to have this party. And no one showed up. And so the master says to the servant, I want you to go out. I want you to go out all throughout the city. Those people that would never be invited. Can you imagine a, a state dinner at the White House? You know where everyone wears their, their fancy tuxes and their fancy dresses and they pull up in fancy cars. Can you imagine all of a sudden if the president just said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to have a state dinner. I just want to send her out on a bus and pick up everyone off the streets. That's, what, that's what's going on here, right? So this, at this banquet, would have had everyone like leaning in with faces all wrinkled up trying to understand what Jesus was talking about. They didn't realize Jesus has already been living this, hasn't he? 
He's already taken the gospel message to the streets, to those that everyone ignores. He's already been living this. So in the story, the master says, go get the sick, the lame, the blind. Give them this invitation to this great banquet. Go get them. Let them come in. The servant comes back and says, we, we still have room. We still have room. I want you to go to the highways and the hedges. Find the outcast of the outcast. Find those that people would never dream of inviting in. I want you to invite them in as well. There's still room. Let's go get them. And I love the word that's used. Compel them. Isn't that such a good word? Compel them to come. And Jesus finishes his whole story by pointing out those who had made the excuses at the very beginning and didn't come at the initial invitation. They were left out of the banquet altogether. This is so powerful because Jesus shows that the invitation to the gospel is not an exclusive invitation only for us. It's the most inclusive message that the world has ever seen that says this message is for everyone. The very beginning of our Bible starts with in the beginning, God. And if you fast forward all the way to Revelation 5, you see another great banquet and it says where there is every tribe and every tongue and every nation gathered at this great banquet you know i've been come convicted of this week is that's really kind of where we are is we get to be that in between group don't we in between in the beginning god and every tribe and tongue and and we get to be those who continue to invite others in that's the job that we get but talk about a challenge for us right outside this wall right here there's a big old building being built if you didn't know, pre-COVID, we could get up to like 280 chairs in this room. We jam them in, right? But 280 chairs. You do realize that that room is going to hold 550. Not even jamming them in, just putting them in there. 550 chairs. The kids' space will match it. It'll be the same footprint right underneath. Talk about being able to expand ministry, but shame on us if we ever turn this into making us more comfortable, or only a place where only our families are welcome. I got a pretty cool phone call that I want to tell you about on Friday. I listened to the voicemail, and uh, it was this older fella, and I called him back. He now lives in Lakeland, Florida, 88 years old, Pastor Jack. He was pastor years ago when First Baptist Church of Romeo, that's, that was us back in the day, First Baptist Church of Romeo was down at what's now the Karate Studio uh, downtown in Romeo. And uh, he was the pastor who led the move over to this site. He was pastor here for 10 years. He led the move over to this site, and he was actually the pastor when all this was built. How incredible was that? 88 years old. And here's what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I just want you to know that your wife, that you, you're on my prayer list that that church is on my prayer He goes, and just so you know, the only way you come off my prayer list is if I die or you die. And I said, well, let's keep us both on this prayer list. Like, I like this prayer list. Let's keep it right like it is. Um, but talk about a joy. Listening to this pastor say, I wish I could come and see it for myself because I have followed this church all through the years. He said, you know, when I took over, we were at this many people and we grew to almost 600 people when I was there. He goes, but I kept praying for the church, and I saw as the church dwindled down to like 100 people at one point. He goes, and I, w I was really scared, but I just kept praying for the church. I wasn't going to put my fingers in it. I wasn't the pastor there anymore. It wasn't my job, but my job was to pray, and so I kept praying. 
And he goes, and I hear what's going on now with the expansion and all the people coming to faith in Christ and the way that your church. And so I just asked the question. I said, Pastor, what, what was the focus when you were there? Like, how did you grow? What was it you did? Do you know what he said? He said, well, we focused on worship. We focused on studying God's word. We wanted to love the Lord well. You know, we, we took care of each other. We loved each other as a church. He goes, but the other part is we realized it wasn't about us. We wanted to find ways. How do we continue to love our neighbor? How do we continue just to share the gospel with the neighbor? And I thought, how beautiful is that? Here we are years later, decades later, here we are. And as we experience growth, you do know that our focus has not changed. That still continues to be the focus of this church. Such an incredible blessing to be able to talk with him. The primary point of this parable really is our big idea. The primary point is that we share the open invitation into God's celebration. We share the open invitation into God's celebration. Now, I like there's a church in Nashville called Emmanuel, and uh, they have a battle cry to help the church remember this mission. And so it's three parts. Part number one says, I'm a complete idiot. That's point one. I'm a complete idiot. Point two, in Christ, my future is incredibly bright. Point three, anyone can get in on this. Again, I'm a complete idiot. In Christ, my future is incredibly bright. Anyone can get in on this. I'm just really thankful that Woodside doesn't make me call myself an idiot every single Sunday. I am so, because I'm acutely aware of that. Like, I know. I already know. I don't want to have to say it every single week. So at Woodside, here's how we say it. At Woodside, we say we want to help people. Let me call a timeout. That means we want to help all people. Every people. All the people. We have 14 campuses, friends. Every campus is different. Every campus is unique. Every campus looks and feels different. And here's what I love. When I look at you, there's not another campus in the Woodside family that's made up of individuals just like you. There's a uniqueness here to who this place is. And we want to help people, all people, belong to Christ, grow in Christ, and reach the world for Christ. That's the mission that we're on, which concludes with the question, who needs invited to the party? Of course, y'all already know the answer, don't you? Everybody. Everybody needs invited to the party. So back to a question I've already asked. Who's the last person that you ever even invited in? I want you to think about that. Who's the last person you invited in? Here's my suspicion. Here's what happens. Maybe it hasn't happened to you. It's only ever happened to me. But I think we remember, most of us, when someone invited us into the gospel, when someone gave us that most beautiful of invitations, way more beautiful than a card that says Mr. Creech, they invited you in. They told you the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And you responded to that. You placed your faith and your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it was a game changer. It changed everything. It was eternity changing for you. And then you probably remember the first time that something stirred inside of you. And you thought, ah, I'm supposed to go talk to this person about the gospel. And then you went, but what if I don't know the answers to their questions? Maybe you didn't do that, but there's some people that happens too. What if I don't know the answers to their questions? What if I sound dumb when I share? What if, what if they get really mad at me and they don't want to talk to me anymore? What if I'm one of those weird Christians? You know, what if, and, and so you didn't, you didn't talk to them. You just kind of swallowed it down and thought, well, I'll just get through the next 30 seconds and I'll be okay. Like that feeling will go away. 
So you just swallowed it down. You went on about your day. And then maybe as a week later, maybe as a month later, but it happened again, didn't it? There was another person. And it started to bubble inside of you. It started to stir, and you thought, I'm supposed to say something. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And then you went through that same progression again, and you swallowed it down again. You know what happens. After a period of time, you just kind of become calloused to those who need an invite. You'll talk to your family about it. You'll talk to your close friends. And then we become like the Pharisees, which isn't what we want at all. I don't think that's your heart. I don't think that's your goal. So I want to challenge you into something this week. And this is one of those challenges that if you do it, I'm telling you, not only will it change you, not only will it change your family, I truly believe this will change the face of this church. It's one of those challenges that can be generationally impacting. I just want you to pray. It's pretty simple. This time, though, I'm going to challenge you not to just pray from your prayer closet, which is normally where I encourage you to pray. I normally encourage get alone with your father who's unseen and shut the door. That's normally where I encourage you. But what I want you to do is I just want you to walk. You can do that. Doctors want you to walk, right? They get real happy when you walk for 30 minutes a day, five times a week. So I was told this week, right? 30 minutes a day, five times a week, just walk. That's it. Just walk. You could bike if you wanted to. Don't drive. Driving is not the same. You can't see. But I, I just want you, I want you to walk through your community, and I just want you to pray. Now, if you live in the country, and you're like, I can walk for 30 minutes, and I won't see anything or anybody except the deer and the rabbits, drive to Romeo, park your car, and start to walk, right? Anywhere where there's people. It doesn't have to be Romeo. Anywhere where there's people. Just start to walk. I just want you to pray this. Lord, will you help me to see people the way that you see people? Lord, will you help me to see people the way that you see people? But friends, you got to hang on because if you pray that, he's going to answer that prayer. And there's going to be something that's going to stir and ache inside of you that by day three, you're going to have to say, Lord, will you show me what I'm supposed to do now that I've seen these things? And that's going to move you. And you're going to have to start writing cards with scripture down. And you're not even going to know why. Don't worry about why. Be faithful in the invitation. Write down just some scripture and some encouragement and drop it in their mailbox. And for some of you, it's not going to be scripture. It's going to be to stop and just to say, hey, I, I see that you need some help. Can I go to the grocery store for you? Can I, can I help you with this? Can I help you with that? How can I serve you? How can I love you? Maybe it is the invite to church. But I'm telling you, it starts with those first steps. Lord, will you help me to see people the way that you do? And then, Lord, what do you want me to say? and do because of it. What's that action step? And it's going to be that prayer that says, I'm afraid and I don't want to speak, but Lord, I can't stay silent anymore. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the reminder that the gospel's for one and for all. Lord, don't ever let us fall into the trap of doing church in a way that just makes us more comfortable. Let us continue to see our neighbor the way that you do to love the way that you do, to be moved to action as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning in worship. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.